The Eagles squeak out a win in overtime against the Washington Commanders, but it's not without controversy. We are back after a brief hiatus. Sorry for missing the episode earlier this week. I'll explain what happened, and we'll talk about the Birds game against the Commanders. All that and more on this episode of the Green Feathers Gridiron Podcast. Welcome to the Green Feathers Gridiron Podcast, where we tackle the NFL's biggest headlines, break down games, and explore league topics, all through the passionate perspective of a Philadelphia Eagles fan. Get ready for insightful analysis, player spotlights, and more. Whether you bleed green or cheer for another team, I've got your NFL fix right here. So join me. The Green Feathers Gridiron Podcast starts now. Welcome on in, football fans. It is I, your host, Brian Booth, and we're here with another episode of the Green Feathers Gridiron Podcast. We're here to talk about this week's game, the Eagles versus the Commanders. Kind of a strange game for the Birds. 11 total penalties throughout the game, but I honestly think there was something really fishy going on with this officiating crew. The first half especially, the calls were very one-sided and very, I don't even know if it was ticky-tack a lot of the times. There was just some blatantly wrong calls, and we'll get into that here in a minute. Getting into the game, I thought the Commanders had a really solid game plan to attack the Eagles' defense. All game long, we saw a lot of short, quick passes and outside runs just off tackle, and the Eagles really struggled to cover both of those. Uh, The other kind of running issue the Eagles had was penalties, 11 total penalties in the game. Some of them, like I mentioned before, were just plain wrong by the officials. And I really think the NFL needs to investigate this officiating crew because it was bad on a couple of things. Towards the end of the second half, it did start to even out a little bit more. And uh, the commanders got flagged for a few things, but it wasn't nearly to the degree that the Eagles were getting flagged. So yeah, this very weird, very weird game. Commanders came out, like I said, they were attacking the edges a lot with uh, off-tackle runs, short, quick passes, and they actually marched right on down the field very methodically in a very Eagles-type of way. Their first drive for a touchdown was a 17-play, 7-minute, 8-second drive before the Eagles ever got to touch the ball. And I really feel like the Eagles let them off the hook. There was a fourth and one conversion that the Eagles allowed, and then a defensive holding call on third and 11. I feel like the Eagles really let the commanders off the hook to start the game off. Then the Eagles turn right around with their own seven-minute drive to tie the game up with a DeAndre Swift run up the middle. Second commander's drive just continued the outside runs, quick passes, and again, penalties were killing the Eagles. Then the Eagles get the ball back and we should line up in a, I believe it was a third and short. It might've been a fourth and short situation. And so Eagles go for the 
as it's now being called the brotherly shove or the tush push. And Landon Dickerson gets called for an offsides penalty. And this, folks, was complete and utter garbage. Complete and utter garbage. Very ticky-tack. I'm looking at a picture of the play right here. And apparently Landon Dickerson's hand was maybe a half inch too close to the line of scrimmage. His helmet may have been a half inch too close to where it was supposed to be on the line of scrimmage. But as I look at this picture, Jerron Payne, defensive tackle for the Washington Commanders, his hand is literally underneath the ball before it is snapped. If anything, this should have been a neutral zone infraction on the defense. And right next to him is Chase Young, whose hand is also right on the line where the ball is placed. There was no neutral zone here. I mean, if you can call Landon Dickerson for offsides, at the bare minimum, this should have been two offsetting penalties, and they redo the down. I mean, if they're going to call Landon Dickerson for that, there is no excuse for Jerron Payne to not have also been flagged on this play. And it just seemed very weird to me that over the past couple of weeks, it just seems like the calls in the media for the NFL to ban this play have just gotten louder and louder. And the arguments for banning the tush-push slash brotherly shove play are so asinine. I just got to say, Ooh, it doesn't look good. It's not pretty. It's not football. The quarterback sneak has been a football play from the very beginning of its history. It's always been part of the game. And now, just suddenly, because the Eagles have figured out a way to be super effective at it, in accordance to the NFL's own rules that have been in place for 18 years that allow for a teammate to push a ball carrier from the back, been in the rule book for 18 years, and now suddenly it's an issue when... A lot of fans on Facebook and Reddit this this past week have been posting all these articles going back several years from when Tom Brady was still at the Patriots, basically running the exact same play and calling it an unstoppable play and how Tom Brady has figured out how to run the perfect unstoppable play. And that particular season, I think the Patriots only missed one quarterback sneak with Tom Brady or something like that. Nobody seems to want to bring that up, but suddenly it's a problem when the Eagles are doing it and, and it must be banned. It, it's just so, it's so whiny, the, the comments and the, the commentary from these sports journalists, everyone from Rich Eisen and Peter King, and then everybody that, every defensive coordinator that the Eagles are going up against has to give their opinion on the play. I'll give Todd Bowles credit last week. He's the coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. And he basically said, the one way to stop this play is don't let them get into third and fourth and short. That's how you stop the play. He didn't whine about it. He didn't try to come up with any excuses. He just said, this is how we attack that play. Didn't really work, but that's what happens, right? And here's the thing. The Washington Commanders did the same thing. They ran it a little differently. They kind of tried to make it into a wildcat type play where they would send a receiver in motion. He'd stop under center and then snap the ball to himself and then try to push the pile forward. It was the exact same play. 
it worked a couple of times. It didn't work another time because the commanders jumped off sides. It's, it's not an unfair play. Not everybody can run it because not everybody has the offensive line that the Eagles have. Not everybody can run it because not everybody has a quarterback who can squat 600 pounds. So why are we singling out one team to try and shadow ban a play with a, with a penalty like this? It was complete garbage. Moving on, Nicholas Morrow, uh, I thought, had a, a fantastic game today. He had three sacks, a forced fumble, 10 total tackles. Uh, although I will say Darius Slay, I felt, and not even just Slay, I felt like the general defensive pass coverage overall was way too soft at times. There was one play, there was actually two plays in the first half, but the first one, Slay kind of passed off, I believe it was Terry McLaurin, kind of ran out into the flat, kind of did like maybe a little seven yard out and up route. And Darius Slay kind of just passes him off thinking he's going to be passing him off to the safety, but there was no other receiver underneath. So, you know, I could kind of understand if there was another person coming in underneath to the flat, sure, go ahead and check off the receiver to the deeper safety. But when you've got no one else coming in underneath, and the replay showed this from a couple different angles, without someone underneath, Slay should have kept going with that guy. Like I said, I believe it was Terry McLaurin. Ended up catches the ball, gets like a 17 or 20 yard completion and a first down. Uh, Just was very soft. And then a similar situation happened a little bit later where Slay just was playing a little too soft. And that's that's the one thing about this current defensive scheme that I think needs to be addressed is we are just playing too soft in coverage and it's it's leading to a lot of unnecessary first downs on the defensive side of the ball. Another terrible, terrible call on the officials was on a, uh, a pass interference call on James Bradbury. I don't remember the receiver for Washington, but basically what happened is Bradbury is in the slot. The receiver had an option route. And what that means is based on where the defense's leverage is. So if you are lined up and the defensive guy is on your outside shoulder, that's called outside leverage. So on an option route, basically what you do is you run however far, however many yards are supposed to go, and then you can either run inside or outside based on where the defensive coverage is. So because James Bradbury had outside leverage, the guy runs what's called an inside hook route. So a hook route basically means the guy ran about 10 or 12 yards down the field and then kind of turned to the inside to catch the ball, which is where, because the defense had outside leverage, which was where the offense would have been able to catch the ball away from the defender. The quarterback, however, Sam Howell, threw the ball high and to the outside. He was expecting the receiver to go outside. But because the receiver ran an inside hook, he then turns, tries to run back towards the ball because he the, the quarterback threw it outside and then basically runs into Bradbury. But because he ran into Bradbury more than five yards down the field, that drew a flag. But the ball, to me, was completely uncatchable. It wasn't even in the zip code because he ran an inside hook rather than an outside corner route to the end zone. So I just thought that, I mean, if they're calling it on the defense because the receiver ran into the player, okay, I can kind of understand that. But when it's an uncatchable ball, 
my understanding was that PI wasn't supposed to be called. You can pick up the flag on an uncatchable ball. I thought it was very, very ticky tack. And uh, I, I was pretty livid on it. It was, like I said, that was just the second really bad call. And they just continued to to come as as the game went on. I felt one of the themes of the game from the Eagles side was just a lot of self-inflicted wounds. Dallas Goddard had a pretty bad drop. I think the Eagles uh, ended up having to settle for a field goal instead of being able to uh, score a touchdown. I'm pretty sure that was on a third down and uh, they missed the conversion. So they ended up having to settle for a field goal right before the half. Uh, One other thing I thought was very strange, DeAndre Swift over the last two weeks had 175 and 130 yards rushing in each of the past two games. And he only had six carries in the first half. I just felt like there was no reason to move away from the run game like the Eagles did. The other weird part was there were several times where the Eagles went to Kenneth Gainwell. And I understand the Eagles really like Kenneth Gainwell. And I'm not saying he's a bad player, but there was no reason to move away from DeAndre Swift. They weren't necessarily down, you know, after... After the beginning of the game, they they eventually caught up, took the lead, and they moved away from from running the ball with Swift, and it just seemed like there was no reason to do that. He was getting some pretty big chunk plays, and Kenny Gainwell just doesn't have that same kind of shiftiness, doesn't have that same kind of explosiveness that Swift does. So it just really confused me as to why they moved away from that. Only six carries in the first half. That just doesn't seem doesn't seem like a, a, a recipe for continued success against better teams in the league, especially once we get into the stretch post-buy where we've got the Chiefs, the Bills, the 49ers, the Seahawks, the Cowboys, all right in a row. We've got to have more consistent play calling and being able to have a balanced run and pass attack. Uh, it was kind of nice. I was actually surprised to see Britton Covey in on the offense in the third quarter. I don't know if Zacchaeus was hurt or was banged up a little bit. The, the first couple of plays I noticed Covey in the lineup, Zacchaeus was not. But later on in the game, both Alameda Zacchaeus and Britton Covey were in the lineup. Didn't get any passes thrown his way, but he was in on a couple of blocks in the screen game as the game wore on. Another, again, into the third quarter, Slay gets a PI on him. That was complete garbage. Again, it was a pretty uncatchable ball. And the the contact that drew the flag was very, very minimal. Could I mean, it could have just been considered hand fighting. Really, it wasn't. To me, it wasn't a, a flag-worthy offense. And even the, the announcers said that it probably should have been let go. But then the Eagles decided, you know what, we're we're done playing this game, and they decided to actually start playing their brand of football. And AJ Brown catches a huge pass down the left sideline, and then gets a couple big blocks from both Alameda Zacchaeus and Devontae Smith. Runs it in for like a 57-yard touchdown. It was a thing of beauty. Dallas Goddard, as I mentioned, dropped a pass earlier. He came back on the next series, had a huge catch for a first down. But then, as I mentioned before, the Eagles on a third and 11 ran a draw to Kenny Gainwell. And again, I just don't understand why they would go to Gainwell in that situation on third and 11. 
they actually played with both Gainwell and DeAndre Swift in the game a couple of times with Swift lined out wide, you know, as a receiver. He actually did have a little bit more of a role in the receiving game today. Uh, I believe he had like five or six catches for about 23 or four yards, something like that. I don't know why you run a draw on third and 11 with Kenny Gainwell. You know, if you're going to give it to, I mean, put it in the in the hands of Swift or even Jalen Hurts, probably could have picked that up. Jalen this year hasn't been running nearly as much as in years past, but it just didn't just didn't seem like the the right call. And luckily, even though he lost a couple yards, we were still in field goal range. Jake Elliott kicked the kicked the field goal. It was good. I think that put us up by by seven. Some more Eagles penalties led to a Brian Robinson touchdown for the score. That Brian Robinson, although he's not super explosive, that dude has got some power. He is very hard to tackle, and he he was giving the Eagles problems pretty much all day. I was pretty impressed with Sam Howell. He threw four picks last week, uh, threw none this week, and uh, no no fumbles or anything on his end. And he actually is sneaky athletic. He actually ran for several first downs. One in the fourth quarter was a 20-yard scamper for a first down, and that was on a third and long play. Uh, It was nice to see Hassan Reddick. He got his cast off on his right hand this week. He got his first sack of the year. And then uh, down the stretch... Coming into the near the end of the fourth quarter, A.J. Brown scores another beautiful touchdown. Uh, I think there was about a minute and a half left in the game. It was a great throw by Jalen Hurts. Great catch by A.J. Brown. And then he gets called for a taunting penalty. Just It was completely unnecessary. Maybe again a little ticky-tack. He kind of got up, turned around, and then he might have said something to the dude. He kind of put the ball and just kind of placed it right in the dude's lap almost. And you couldn't really see what he said to him, but there wasn't any finger pointing. There wasn't any, you know, standing over him and flexing right in his face. It was literally just kind of put the ball right in front of him. And that drew a 15-yard penalty. And can we talk about how ridiculous a 15-yard penalty is for taunting? I don't get it. Are, are we that soft as a culture that we can't take a little trash talk? A 15-yard penalty because the dude who caught an amazing touchdown placed the ball in front of the defender who was in coverage? I mean, the guy was embarrassed enough to get burned as badly as he did, and then to have a ball placed in front of him. The guy is crying over there on the sidelines, literally crying gets super emotional up on the sidelines. And I'm not saying that guys can't get emotional. These games get heated. You know, emotions get out there. That's fine. But to have a ball placed in front of you draws a 15-yard penalty seems a little ridiculous. But that did lead to a very short field. The commanders got a pretty good return on the ensuing kickoff. Again, the, the theme of this week was the Eagles hurting themselves with stupid penalties Granted, a few were were bad. A lot of them were self-inflicted. And then just the Eagles, for whatever reason, there's five seconds left in the game. We make a great stop. You know, they get an incomplete pass. And then for some inexplicable reason, with five seconds left, the Eagles call timeout. And the commanders didn't have any timeouts left. Now, I will try to give the Eagles some credit because I couldn't really see what the formation was like because the announcers were talking about something 
They hadn't really put the camera angle back onto the field of play, but there's five seconds left. The play clock has run out and the Eagles call timeout with five seconds left. Like that penalty, I'm pretty sure if there would have been a delay a game, that that had been a 10 second runoff, we'd have won. But we let them off the hook there. So we call timeout, five seconds left. And again, we make a really nice stop, an incomplete pass. And then there's one second left and they give them one additional try to score. And Josh Job, who kind of had an up and down game, he did have a pass breakup on the first defensive series. But then Josh Job, last play of the game, one second left, just kind of watches the receiver run right at him at the end zone, kind of curls to the outside, catches the ball right in front of him, didn't really even try to go after the pass. And uh, Josh Job just kind of watched Dotson catch the game-tying touchdown with no time left. I, I don't understand why the defense is playing such a soft coverage in this situation. Obviously, if they catch it outside of the end zone, then you play a little softer and you just try and tackle them inbounds prior to the end zone. But he just kind of watched him run right into the end zone, ran his 12-yard out or whatever, and just didn't really even try to contest the catch. Luckily, in overtime, the Eagles were able to force a punt. And there was some iffy play calling on that ensuing drive. But eventually they get down and were able to kick a 54-yard field goal with about four minutes, four, little over four minutes left, a 54-yard field goal from Jake Elliott to win the game. Made it a lot harder on themselves. Jalen Hurts on second and six throws the ball to the end zone. Nobody's there. I think there was a miscommunication between him and A.J. Brown, but because he was about to get hit, They called it intentional grounding. That was our 11th penalty of the day. Luckily, we're able to come back on a short pass to Devontae Smith across the middle and uh, called our final timeout to uh, line up Jake Elliott for the the 54-yard field goal. Interesting fact, that was the longest game-winning overtime kick in team history. So congratulations, Jake Elliott. Game ball to you for winning the game. Other game balls, uh, I'll give one to Jalen Hurts. He was 25 of 37 for 319 yards and two touchdowns. Terrific game from Jalen Hurts. Uh, He also rushed for about 30 yards. I believe he had about seven or seven carries or so. A.J. Brown had nine catches for 175 yards and two touchdowns. Great game from A.J. Just got to reel that in, man. No more taunting penalties at the end of the game. No more taunting penalties at all. Just He did this last year against the Steelers where he just, I think that was on his third touchdown of the game that week, and he catches the ball, and in the end zone, he kind of points at the two guys in coverage, draws an unnecessary penalty. Just no need for that. But uh, otherwise, fantastic game from him. And then Nicholas Morrow, 10 tackles, three sacks, and a forced fumble. What a story, this guy. He came in to the Eagles, was slated as a starter kind of at the beginning of uh, of the offseason program, and then after the preseason, doesn't even make the initial 53-man roster. And if I recall, he wasn't even on the practice squad at first, and then gets... Uh, <laughs> and then N'Kobe Dean goes down with an injury. He gets signed to the practice squad and then gets elevated and is 
balling out for a guy that came in, had no guaranteed money on his contract. He was playing his tail off right now. So congrats to him. Great game, 10 tackles, three sacks, and a forced fumble. Some game ball to you. Other items of note, uh, no game balls, but uh, congrats to Josh Sweat and Hassan Reddick, who both had sacks. As I mentioned, it was Reddick's first sack of the year, and it just so happened to be the week he got the cast off of his hand. So I know Hassan would not count that as an excuse, but it is nice that it that's no longer there. He's been really close, especially the past couple of weeks. He's been really close, and I think teams are just getting the ball out quicker than they used to. Last year, we were just able to make the quarterbacks hold the ball just a half second longer, and I think that's why Hassan has not had as many sacks as he had starting from last year. One other thing I want to talk about today, Bill Belichick. What what is going on in New England right now? New England lost to Dallas 38-3. to That is the worst loss in Bill Belichick's 29-year head coaching career. His worst loss ever. You'd think after 29 years, and I understand in football, sometimes you just get smacked in the mouth. And sometimes you have a bad game, but typically you don't have your worst game ever after 29 years on the job. I mean, Bill's getting up there. I think he's either in his late 60s or early 70s. He's not a spring chicken anymore. And post Tom Brady, the team has not looked good. Yes, they've made the playoffs once, but that was that was a couple of years ago. And they pulled their quarterback. Mac Jones got benched in the third quarter for Bailey Zappi. And, you know, Bailey Zappi didn't play any good either. And so you just wonder, is this going to be the end of the line for Bill Belichick? Is he going to be on the hot seat this offseason? Could he potentially get let go? You know, the guy has six Super Bowl rings as a head coach. I think he has eight overall. I think he won two with the Giants back in the 80s. So... It's not like the guy doesn't know how to coach football, but I just wonder if the game in general or just the culture of the players has just changed so much. I wonder if it's not that he can't coach anymore, but makes me wonder how effective he will be able to be going forward. You know, for all those years with Tom Brady, he was kind of the mediator between between the coach and the players. And let's face it, Bill Belichick is not a player's coach. He's going to yell at you. He's going to cuss you out. He's going to call you out on your crap. And if you screw up, everyone in the building will know. And, you know, with Tom Brady, the guy was clearly one of the best quarterbacks we've seen ever. And, you know, if the coach could ream out the quarterback, the other guys could kind of take it. And I think maybe that shtick has worn off and players are, are not having it. So it'll be interesting to see if he's on the coaching hot seat by the end of the season, if the team continues to struggle like it has through the first four weeks, or could he just decide to hang him up? Could he retire? Could he get fired? We'll see. Should be an interesting rest of the year. Well, that's going to be it for me, guys. Thank you for listening. Please follow our page on Facebook, Green Feathers Gridiron Podcast. There are just a couple of questions to get into the group. But it's mostly just, who's your favorite football team? And can you agree to these rules, which basically come down to don't be a jerk? And uh, yeah, join our Facebook group, Green Feathers Gridiron Podcast. And we will see you next time. 
I want to extend my heartfelt gratitude to all you passionate football fans for joining me on the Green Feathers Gridiron podcast. Your support and enthusiasm drive me to keep bringing you the best of NFL analysis and spirited discussions. A special thank you goes out to Josh Hansen, Spencer Myers, and KP Brown. If you've enjoyed our deep dives into the NFL action and headlines, please take a moment to show your love by rating and subscribing to the Green Feathers Gridiron podcast on your preferred podcast platforms. Your feedback and subscriptions mean the world to me. But wait, don't keep this podcast gold all to yourself. Share it with your friends and fellow football fans who crave the same insightful conversations that you do. Together, we can build a community of fans that live and breathe the NFL. So as we wrap up this episode, remember to rate, subscribe, and share. Your involvement is key to helping this podcast reach even more fans like you. And until next time, I will see you on the road to victory.